Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers, and VPS solutions. HostT.net. Programming Throwdown, Episode 32, OpenSCAD. Take it away, Jason. Hey, everybody. Yeah, the uh, I've been answering a lot of questions on Stack Overflow and Quora. This is this is my new my new hobby. Uh, Not answering questions for your child yet? No, no, definitely. You know, so, you know, he he's like, why is the sky blue? And I tell him to ask me on Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need more points. Yeah, yeah. Ask me on Sky Exchange. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been answering questions on like Math Stack Exchange and and Stack Overflow and Quora, and uh, it's been interesting. It's kind of fun. One thing I noticed is, you know, I've 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 met people who have, you know, a bazillion points in Stack Overflow, and I realized that at a certain level, it becomes almost like a click. Um, it's kind of weird, like. You know, I was asking people, how do you get so many points? And I guess at some level, people start like you can you can basically invest your points in questions. And so the questions that are really, really hard to answer or, or that are, say, like very nebulous. You know, a bunch of people with a lot of points will answer and someone will pick one of them and, and that person will get even more points. And so it becomes like you kind of have to know the right people. And, and I, I realized like almost everything when you get to a high enough, high enough level, devolves into a click. Like, for example, I worked with a guy um, on my last team who was the world junior chess champion. And, you know, he was like a grandmaster and he had a, a huge, you know, chess rating. I don't know what it was, but it was probably like, I don't even know what the ratings range are, but it was, you know, obviously one of the top in the world. It's probably not as good as mine. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure we could. We, I'm sure we could write our computer program to beat him. But that's beside the point. He uh, and he was basically saying it's kind of like a click. You know, you have to go to the right tournaments. You have to socialize with the right people, so you get invited. See, that's part of it. Is you have to get invited to the tournaments so that you can get the ratings, so that you can be the best. Now, like theoretically, if you won every single game, like a tournament, you know, if you beat all, everybody who you ever faced then theoretically, you know, the next highest person should feel rather compelled to play you, right? But but in practice, like, it just doesn't work that way. The, a lot of it comes down to sort of networking and, and meeting the right people and all of that. And I realized that, like, even on the internet, things like Quora and Stack Exchange actually work the same way when you get to a certain level. But that's what I always say about the movie industry, right? Like, that, you know, people want to be actors or actresses. And there's, like, the lightning striking chance that you will be found but that for the most part it's about knowing people and having an in and getting the roles and then people want to take like a safe bet so like they want to take you because for a small movie role because you were in a commercial and they want to take you for a big movie role because you were in a medium movie role right and so like exactly you have to start somewhere but like if you start at the bottom it takes a long time to get to the top yeah exactly and i mean this idea that like doing the thing that 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 they're trying to evaluate whether it's chess or answering questions or whatever like is not sufficient you know like you could as i was saying you could just beat absolutely everybody in chess and never become the world champion just because you wouldn't have access to the people who would get you the the higher rating 
and and I feel like most systems in the world, most social systems work this way. And uh, and uh, that realizing that that is even true on the internet was just fascinating. Interesting. So do you go for quantity of questions? Like do you just go on there and like answer questions that are too dumb that nobody else wants to answer them or do you like go for like the really thoughtful like oh this is interesting it makes me happy to answer this question. <clears throat> yeah, so um I realize I, I, the you know I I would answer anything just about I mean I would answer the dumb question, but the volume of people who are there to answer dumb questions is so large that I never get the opportunity, you know like like I'm just not checking it often enough or even if I do, I can just tell like you know, if someone answer if someone asks you know why is my homework assignment code not working and there's a divide by zero, like by the time I like I'm usually on my phone. I'm usually traveling. You know, by the time I get to a place where I can answer the question, um, someone like ten other people have already answered it. You know, so I'm sort of forced into answering the deeper questions, which is kind of is 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 more fun, anyways, right? Um, so one of those questions it sounds an awful lot like work. <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I, it, like it, I, I'm uh, glad that you help society. But, well, uh, you know, actually, the reason why I do it isn't to help society, but it's because maybe maybe this is connected to, to why I answer the harder questions is that I, I want to provoke a discussion with people who think I'm wrong. Either that or I want to know I'm right about something that's like pretty nebulous. So, for example, uh, I answered this question on Quora and it was effectively like, how do I start a machine learning startup? The, the question was, this guy said... Uh, I was given the lead machine learning engineer at a startup, but I'm you know, basically never, I'm relatively new to machine learning. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But then he qualifies it by saying I have practice in software engineering from industry. Wait, wait so, so, so hold on. So I think I've seen this in a movie before person gets a job for a role like financial analyst. And then the first thing they do is they Google, what does a financial analyst do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I wish you would say the startup so I'd know uh, not to join that startup. But, uh, okay, but right. sorry. So he has software engineering experience, but now yeah. he's lead lead machine learning director, VP. Yeah, exactly. He's he's CMLO <laughs> at, at the, some company. And it sounds so, like a uh, rapper. <laughs> yeah, CeeLo was a rapper, right? Anyways, so... Um, so, you know, I asked, you know, I answered the question as best I could and basically told him, you know, he, he didn't, he wouldn't give any details on what machine learning he's doing, just that he's doing machine learning. And so I posted a link. kind. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to, I'm on this startup called Skynet. And uh, so, I, you know, I tried to answer as best I could. And I posted, a, I'll post a link to it. In Did the, your uh, answer involve Newton's laws of robotics? No, but I did tell him uh, to always. You didn't answer it right. Always include if created Skynet fitness minus nine hundred ninety nine, just to make sure that his genetic algorithm, you know, knows it's been punished if it creates Skynet. Um, um, okay. But it's but it's fun. People can vote on your question, and and uh, the other thing is is uh, there's really interesting in depth answers to sort of more of these meta questions like you know, what library should I use to do X? And there might be five choices. And, and people who wrote those libraries answer. It's kind of cool. And then they start a debate. So I always wonder that, oh, like, I see, I see posts on, like, Hacker News or 
um, other places and it's like, hi, I'm the author of this or I'm the guy who this page is about. Like if they didn't post it themselves and then they say stuff and I'm always wondering like, I, I guess I view it slightly different than like a blog post author, like giving like, oh, thank you for the, I misspelled the word, I'm fixing it. And about people like defending or re-explaining like, I guess it's good. Like, it helps improve the thing. Like, often they'll go edit the page to be more clear or whatever. But other times, like, they just get involved in an argument. And it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, if I did it, I think I'd kind of just, like, do it and leave it out there. Like, I kind of don't want to... <laughs> I you, might read the responses, but I don't want to, like... If you made a library or if you answered a question on Quora? Yeah, so, like, answering a question on Quora would be fine. But, like, I wouldn't want to, like, people, like, getting into my question or, like, getting into a debate about it, like... Oh, to I me, see what you're saying. That would be like not offensive, but just like I feel like I waste my time or like ah, oh, you missed the point, and like trying to put more work into it. And yeah, know. well, this is you know like this is why the kind of people who 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 enjoy that are the people who invent programming languages. <laughs> we, we talked about this one time. Like you know, you think about like it's never occurred, at least not to me, to invent to make a new programming language. And we've seen plenty of languages come and go through our lifetime. So it's not like all the good ones were taken or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I wondered why, like, why is it that we've never tried to invent a language? I think what it comes down to is I don't care enough. Like, like most <laughs> languages do what I want. And there's already plenty of them out there. And we've, we can talk about languages for shows forever. But, like, there's enough tools that I can always get a job done somehow. And the kind of person who, like, cannot deal with the tool set as it is and needs another tool, that's also the kind of person who would fight to the death on Quora or Hacker News or whatever to defend, like, their library or their tool or what have you, you know? Mm. Like, that, like those qualities are have to be tied together, right? Yeah, yeah. So watch out. That, I'm answering questions deep. on Quora. Hey, I might deep, <laughs> I'm answering questions on Quora. I might go invent a language now. I might jump so off I'm, the deep I'm end. posting a question right now. What should programming throwdown episode thirty three be about? <laughs> and what should I say? <laughs> Could someone write me a script, please? <laughs> Do you think that question would be answered? Um yeah, you'd get some answers. I think some people from okay. the audience would tell you where to go. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, uh, uh, oh man so, so uh, we talked uh, oh, it go was ahead. last episode we talked about uh programming interviews i think it was last episode. that's right it was and uh i right after that actually and i wrote it down You'd you be interviewed so proud somewhere of me. I, I wrote i can't disclose that information <laughs> okay if i had i would feel really bad for that person um <laughs> as i always uh, no um so I came across this right afterwards and I like wrote it down because I was like, this is going to be good and I'm going to remember it for the next episode. Um, but there was an article. I, I don't know anything about this site. I guess I should have read it and seen if the site itself is any good. I did read the article, but it says uh, it's choosing a programming language to do your interview. So if you're going to do a programming interview, how do you choose a language? And the website is codingforinterviews.com. I have no idea what it's about. Anyways, but the article is interesting. And yeah, uh, cool. basically says, like, what should you think about? And, you know, they had some good points, which is, like, you should look up if your company has a strong preference, the one you're interviewing with. And they show, like, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Here's the, like, strong preferences or whatever. Um, and then once you do that, you should practice and then no common, like, very common things. Um, and, and they have some good stuff in here that I wouldn't have always thought about, like, 
throwing exceptions. It's like, do people throw exceptions in that language? And like, what is kind of like the way people do it or don't? Um, uh, and about casting, like being careful about how to cast back and forth between stuff in the language you choose. Um, and then they have an interesting point, have some opinions about it. Like, what do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? And I've actually had that in every interview pretty much I've ever done, at least at one point. Somebody asked me like, why do you like that language? Or what's the thing you dislike most or whatever? Um, yeah. Basically wanting you to be passionate. And I don't know as like an interviewer, like how good of a question that is because... I think it's perfectly fine for people to like have been using a language and not think deeply about the language. And I don't know that for me, that says anything about them as a person that like they didn't think deeply about the flaws of the language they're in. Um, yeah. I think it's the kind of question that like has many good answers. You know, if someone was to say, <clears throat> you know, I really love Java because it has, like static typing and I've been burned so many times and whatever, like has a lot, like some insightful answer. That'd be good. And if somebody said, I just want to use like whatever tool is best for the job and, and, and kind of went about it that way, it's fine too. I mean, okay, it's a yeah. difficult, but yeah, you're right that it's not, then, it definitely then, like, shouldn't, you know, be the thing that you go off of. Like this guy is really passionate about Java guys. Let's hire him, you know? Yeah. Unless you were making programming languages or like really deep down making tools for languages or something, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but yeah, no, you have a good point. I like if somebody's just like, there isn't a bad answer. You're just looking for conversation to have or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I did get asked it recently. Like what it, like how big of a language buff am I? That's what somebody asked me or whatever. Like, really? Would I get in a debate with other team members? Was about this in an interview choice? or something? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, I was just like, uh, okay. Like I try to be middle of the road. Like I care about what I'm doing, but I don't want to get in arguments for the sake of arguing. Yeah, definitely. Which may or not be, may or may not be true, but actually that's a, if you think about it, that's a pretty terrifying question to be asked because unless you it's know the, the person the, pretty well, what's your biggest flaw? Yeah, it's, it's a, true. It's like, it's such a bad question. Because everybody wants to say something that's actually good. I'm a perfectionist, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I I work too hard. Yeah, I work too hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like these things. And they think they're being like, haha, like I made it a positive. Um, but if you had like really do admit some like deep flaw, like I don't, I don't know. Like you leave the person. I interviewed or filled out a application for Best Buy one time when I was a teenager or whatever. Okay. I was, I was like 18 or 19. And... Um, they ha make you take this like personality test or whatever. Do they as really? Part of it on the computer. Yeah, yeah. And they ask you like, your coworker has stolen something. Like, what will you do? Like, will you rat him out? Will you? No, they didn't say that. But like on like a yeah. severity, like how bad is this? Like they, your coworker, you found out your coworker, you know, takes pens from the office uh, and uses them at home. Like, what's your moral reaction to that or whatever? And it's like, kind of disturbing because your immediate thing is like you want to say like oh stealing is bad like i report him to the police but then it's like well i don't they know that like they must be looking for something different like not specifically <laughs> oh, like that? i throw the guy in jail because he did something minorly wrong like they probably don't want to hire me if i say that do you know um, there was one of the ultima um you know games where instead of choosing your character like knight or bard or barbarian or what have you you answered questions exactly like this and then it shows your class depending on how you answered 
Like if you okay. if you answered everything like uh, very letter of the law, then you ended up a knight. <laughs> you know, like maybe the same thing's happening at Best Buy. Like if you mm-hmm. uh, if you if you answered everything in a way that uh, made the customer right, even when they were stealing pens, they became manager or something. I don't Whoa. know. <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't get the job, so whatever it is, I don't think I answered correctly. Oh, maybe the answers were to steal pens. Wait, I don't think they... What? No, what, huh? <laughs> See, okay. that's... Correlation is causation. So you put that you would catch your coworker and, like, you'd report him and you didn't get the job. Therefore, the correct answer is to let your coworker get away with stealing. I just assumed it was because I overstated my technical competency. <laughs> okay. They were scared about having someone at Best Buy. <laughs> no, 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 no. One time, this is kind of an aside, but I went to Comp USA and... Um, you know, I somehow it came up. I was like buying a video card, and at the time they had like a service assistant, like you know, like like you know, get the video card from the back and give it to you and talk to you or whatever. I think like Fry still does this, and they get like a commission or whatever. And uh, which I don't like. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I absolutely hate it. But something came up about drivers. This one has good drivers or something, and I said, oh, you know, I use Linux. It doesn't matter. And he goes, like, oh, like, other than it sounding cool, like, why would anybody use Linux? <laughs> I was like, wait, that's oh a good my question. God. What? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> um, because I don't want to download my Unix tools that we spent a whole show talking about. I want them to just be there. But actually, you know, what I told him was, I was like, you know, when you're in school and they teach you, you know, there's like the half ass way of doing things. And then there's like the okay way and the great way. It's like Windows does the half-ass way and Linux does the great way. Like when you learn about like, like yeah, it's true. When you learn about like swap file management or managing dynamic libraries, like you take your operating system 101 course in college. There's always like three different ways to solve the problem. There's like the terrible way. There's the way that like people implemented while they were thinking of the right way. And it's okay, but it's not that great. And then there's the right way that's just way better than all the other than either of the other two and linux always does the third one and windows always does the first one and uh that argument didn't work either no the, the guy at comp usa just laughed or whatever anyways i, I never think, went back. I think you, you missed you should have <laughs> just avoided conversation yeah l- lesson learned if you if you talk to anybody at best bar comp usa you'll get rejected for a job and either way you'll leave unhappy I feel like so, we've probably offended people. <laughs> if you work at Best Buy, we're sorry. Yeah, if you work at Best Buy, you're probably great. Just I'm just jealous because I couldn't get the job. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, my topic is a little hard to explain. Actually, extremely hard to explain. But Why I don't have we try links. visualizing it. Yeah, exactly. It is literally a group, a collection of math visualizations. So I'm... I'm uh, through the math stack exchange and through Google plus and I've been uh, following a lot of like geeky math people on the internet Nerd. and uh, yeah. And throughout the, uh, um, throughout the weeks I've been doing this, I've come across some amazing visualizations and I wanted to kind of share those with you. Um, obviously they're very hard to talk about, but I'll try briefly. <laughs> Can you um, describe to us an interpretive dance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm doing it right now. And oh, oh I, I feel <laughs> happy. Yeah. So they have like the binomial theorem 
where it's like a plus b parentheses squared and they like distribute the squared you know through a and b so it becomes like a squared plus 2ab plus b squared like all these these kind of things that you learn in like middle school or high school but they actually take shapes to, and the shapes have an area of like a squared or b squared and actually show you how the shapes kind of come together and why that makes sense um, they do this for the Pythagorean theorem and a couple other things. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I actually joined the math uh, Google Plus community. And they have a section just for these cool visualizations that they post every like few days or so. And it's just kind of cool to, to, to look at. Some people have some really uh, creative ways of looking at things. It's very cool. Yeah, I, I think sometimes like people other than like the math they do in grade school or whatever, like the more advanced math, the only way we know it is through like the pictures that end up in the journal papers or whatever. Like uh, the stuff that ends up in popular news will have like a picture, like new way of dealing with high dimensionality and like show some cool picture or whatever. And people will be like, Oh, cool. Um, so like the, the more pictures you have, I guess the more cool people think your math is. Yeah. And as we were talking about before the show, like I, I, I feel like the people actually learned these theorems through these pictures, you know? I mean, the, the Greco-Romans who discovered, you know, Pythagorean theorem, which, you know, Pythagoras did not discover Pythagorean theorem. That's like a common, like, uh, misconception. It's just named after him because he uh, ran the school or whatever. But at any rate, um, you know, they probably, you know, did this. Like, they had a bunch of triangles and squares and you know, and on sheets of wood or something and, and, and visualized almost all of these theorems I'm imagining. So it's kind of cool to re to like, to re uh, invent that yourself um, through these pictures. And if you can't do that, you can at least use Wolfram language. <laughs> Wolfram language is, oh, I was going to say before, I watched a part of a documentary about the history of math and then I got bored and I stopped watching it. But they were saying <laughs> that the Sumerians in third millennium BC used a base 60 numbering system. What? Oh, because I guess, I guess that's because like, that's what time is effectively. Right. So that's what they're saying. Like these people were actually like genius or whatever. And yeah. it, they were like count using like uh, kind of the knuckles in their hands as opposed to fingers. Oh. And uh, anyways, yeah. So base 60. Uh, and it's crazy. And we still have like vestiges of it left over until today oh that's Talking really interesting people anyway so maybe i'll add the link here and we can put it in the show notes but there's this documentary from the bbc on math if you can make it through it <laughs> okay so wolfram language i saw I, they came out actually just last week i believe um wolfram i forget the guy's first name i think his last uh, Stephen. name is wolfram. Stephen wolfram Stephen wolfram a guy who has uh, uh wolfram alpha the do we call it a search engine? I don't remember what they call it. They have. I think it's called like calling. a math search engine or something or a okay, computation sure. engine. So he has like that is supposed to be based on this thing he's been working on. And he has a book, uh, I think it might even be online, that it, like describes like his kind of theory of like working with math and, and this kind of stuff. He does a lot more than just like make a software package for doing math processing. Like he's trying to do more. And um, he has a programming language he's been working on and part of it is a functional description. Um, and then he's trying to integrate it like with a lot of other stuff. So you can say like, it understands things about location. So if you say 
capitals of states um, or capitals of states in the United States or some specification you can get like here are all the capital cities and then you can do oh, things cool. like population of cities and the language itself knows how to like go fetch that information and natively display it to you um, and then like you know shows things about kind of having some graphic and then having it parameterized and like doing it in only like a couple lines of code. So there's a YouTube video. We'll put it in the show notes. You may have already seen it. Um, the Wolfram language and it has like all these different pieces and this real slick video he shows. Um, and it does seem kind of interesting. It seems very different. Like, I don't know how I feel about it. Cause like there is like the language itself, but then there's all this other stuff as well, which we talked about like Python being batteries included, but here even going further than just like, here's other libraries of code, but like, data i guess it, that's the thing it's like this talks about having kind of data be a part of the language where you can natively know bits of data um and that's not normal for a language at least like not the way i think about it yeah it's that, pretty like, amazing. when somebody gives you a language a compiler as it were an interpreter that like it has so much you know stuff that won't even really fit on your computer like i think it has to be connected to the web to be able to get some of this information because um, otherwise it would just be massive, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, and uh, the being able to sort of like unify this data that might be like very qualitative, right? It's kind of amazing. Yeah, but it's one of those things too, like I scratch my head and think like, oh, that's nifty, but it's like if you ever try to do voice search on Android or iOS and you try to like say a specific command in a certain way that's the most natural to you, it doesn't always work. Um, yeah, right. Because like it's expecting a different keyword. And as soon as you know the keyword, it does a pretty good job of understanding what you're saying. Like, take me home might not work initially. I think it does work now. You have to say navigate home. Like, it knows what home is, but not conceptually. It just knows it as, like, a keyword. And so yeah, you have I to mean, say navigate home. But saying, like, take me home or how do I get home, it, unless it's programmed to know that, it can't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, do you think that, like... Sometimes I wonder if you can solve this purely through just like statistics of, of people's interactions. In other words, like enough people say, take me home and then that fails. And then they say, get directions to home that like you over time can learn that. Take well, me some home, stuff does that. Know. Yeah. Some stuff is supposedly does that. Like I wonder if that's enough though. Like, I, you know, I mean, when I was an undergrad, there's this whole course on like natural language processing and all of this crazy amount of like frames and all this like human you know like like part of speech tagging all of this crazy stuff that people did all these heuristics they use and sometimes i wonder if you really need any of that or if you can do almost everything through just inference if you had enough data right yeah i don't know it's tough but um the reason i was bringing up this other stuff or whatever about um you know the ver voice search is to say like and it's wolfram language like all these amazing things but like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to memorize like, there's no way you could memorize it so like the same thing happens even if you write in like java right you probably unless you're like really good like memorize every aspect of all the parts of java but the parts to do like like a lot of stuff you can know like you can know the majority of the language and right. the nuances but with something like this it would probably change often, I would assume, like because of the data part, like you would have, now we have, um, I, I don't know, species of animals. Oh, okay, well now like here's the keywords for that. And so like you would constantly have to be in the mode of like looking stuff up to know what, what keyword to use to get at that data. 
Um, yeah, and then definitely. that data may or may not be available, right? Versus just like sitting down and saying, okay, I have this small set of pieces and figuring out how to arrange them to do what I want. Yeah, I mean, you get like almost like agoraphobia. There's just like so much stuff going on that you can't even really get started. Yeah, but, but check out the video. It's cool. Uh, it's, yeah, it has some partnership, I think. I, uh, with, I'm trying to remember now. I didn't look at it right before the show, but uh, um, I, they have something where they're doing with the Raspberry Pis. Like Raspberry Pi ships with a version of Wolfram something. Oh, on interesting. It. And I think they're going to try to do this as well, some partnership with them. I used Wolfram well. Alpha recently to. Uh, um, <clears throat> I needed to calculate like the. I needed to sample from the cumulative distribution function of like normal distribution. So you end up having a. There's this this function called ERF like ERF. I think it stands for like error rate function. And the function is defined in terms of itself. It's like ERF of X is equal to blah, blah, blah times E to the ERF of X over two. Ah. And so it, I'm just like, what? what? <laughs> so, and then I had to like integrate that. I was like, what? So uh, I went on Wolfram Alpha and uh, it's amazing. Actually, they show you how to do it. It's really impressive. Like there's a, uh, there's a technique you can use, which, of course, you can't you can't get the exact answer. You know, just you can tell right away that like a recurrence like this, like it's never gonna yeah. end. You know, it's like one of these like infinite series, right? But uh, but it shows you like what people do like in industry and stuff to to get answers. And uh, I was really impressed by Wolf. Nice. Alpha. All right, it's time All right. for book of the show. Book of the show. So uh, my book's actually a comic book. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was pretty cool. It's called My Friend Dahmer. And it's written by um, somebody who went to high school with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, who is a notorious murderer slash cannibal. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, shortly after high school, you know, throughout high school, he was pretty crazy. And you know, he just kind of got worse and worse. And then within a few years of high school, graduating high school, he... Um, um, he killed this lady who was jogging near his house. But wait, this is in real life. No, well, th this is a real story. What I'm talking about now really happened. Um, and and literally, he cannibalized this this poor lady. Um, and and uh, then he proceeded to murder and cannibalize people until he was caught. Um, and he ended up getting an electric chair. But um, the book is, is uh, the comic book is illustrated, you know, is written from the perspective of this guy who went to high school with him. And it's really interesting. It's all about basically, you know, this was, I guess, in the 70s. And, you know, I think people are much more in touch with, like, mental disabilities. And, and, and you know, these things are taken much more seriously, especially after Columbine and so on and so forth. And just in general, people are much more, like empathic towards these kind of mental problems than they were back then um and it just it just you know he just goes through just like the person was like he was pretty bad when he was like 14 he was already kind of messed up and then throughout high school how like things really just go from bad to worse and everyone's just kind of making fun of it you know like his c classmates and stuff are just kind of making fun of the situation but really it's just very serious that he's kind of messed up you know and, uh, um, you know, and, and the show ends with them all graduating high school. And then there's a short narrative about, you know, what happens after that. But uh, I just, I, the whole thing was, it was, it was, of course, very somber. 
but it was also really interesting. And uh, you know, the guy starts the comic book by saying, you know, I'm self-publishing this book because nobody would publish it for me. Um, you know, nobody wanted to get near this subject because they thought it was like too touchy and they didn't want to deal with the you know problems, the fallout or whatever. So I, so I paid for the publishing myself. And it's just that kind of gets your attention, right? And then from then on, the whole thing is actually pretty interesting. And it's not too like, you know, the whole thing ha takes place before he started, you know, murdering people. So it's not graphic or bloody or anything like that. But it's like, it's actually like, it's a very somber story. And it's actually really interesting. So I recommend reading it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty deep. Don't read it when you... Uh, want like a you know feel good but but i got a lot out of it i thought it was interesting so. uh, okay <laughs> my, my book of the show is a magazine all right well it's Ma good <laughs> make magazine you're the ying to my yang it has nothing to do with cannibals as far as i know <laughs> um so if you've not seen this before uh i i don't know if they sell it overseas but at least in america they they have this magazine make magazine and it's been going on for uh, probably like four or five years now i don't actually know i'd have to look it up oh really i felt like it, it it's been around forever you think longer than that maybe maybe i'm thinking of something else but uh we, we have to look it up so i, I think they come out with four four a year so quarterly i believe this is how often it comes out um, I'm not, I'd have to look it up again, <laughs> uh, but they, they have a lot of really awesome, like DIY projects and articles and talking to people doing that kind of thing. So like recently I was reading, um, I think the issue 36 or whatever, I think they're on issue 37 right now. And, um, they were talking about the internet of things. They were talking to some people who are doing a startup about internet of things and kind of what that means and what it's about and how they did it. And, um, then they have like typically a couple tutorials on how to build something. So the one I was reading about was doing fusion in a jar and oh, nice. i really want to try it like it seems really awesome um and you get this kind of glowing star basically in in a jar um and you but you it requires like all sorts of crazy equipment right not crazy but like i don't have it equipment so things like vacuum pumps and neon sign transformers and um you know some special materials and uh, but when you do it, it's just like, wow, this is the kind of thing like I wish I could have done this for like science fair stuff, it would have been, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, amazing or whatever. Um, and, and then they have, you know, less less crazy stuff. But even just to like sit there and read through it and think about it and kind of, um, you know, just be in that culture of like how to make something that you may have thought required like a factory to make it um, and, you know, making it yourself that. Uh, kind of spirit is I, I like I like it a lot I like reading the magazine yeah and, I mean I uh, think that inspired. it's really interesting that like uh, you know I felt like when I was really interested in in these kind of things you know when we were both uh, working together like on the east coast um, you know at the time 3d printers were not popular at all and I built like a lot of electronic kind of things but I never got to actually enclose any of the electronics and make something which I would work day to day you know and uh, I just think it's absolutely amazing how you know what five six years later we could actually you know fabricate something that would be like almost professional quality you know just for you know a few thousand dollars of equipment right yeah it's pretty amazing and it ties in with our theme which we'll talk about in a minute our show topic but yeah I mean 
Stuff is changing. So eight years ago, it started just just shy of eight years ago, January oh, nice. 2005. So it's, I was off. Um, but yeah, if you've never checked it out before, um, they have a blog and they post like, you know, projects people do and uh, authors is, is write Is the magazine stuff. free or how does it work? No, no, no. So the magazine is paid uh, and it's a little expensive and it comes out quarterly. But I mean, it's... How much is it roughly? I think, I, mean, I, think, uh, I want to say like six, seven dollars, maybe eight dollars. Seven dollars, so like uh, thirty dollars a year. Yeah, I think it's maybe thirty-five dollars a year. Okay, that's not bad. I'd have to look I mean, for four, for four, for four issues. Yeah, so I mean, you're not doing it because it's like cheap, uh, but it is, uh, you know, I, I, it's a good read, and I don't know where else you get it for, like what yeah, other I mean, kind of materials. Okay, so it looks like it's maybe ten dollars an issue, or at least the most recent issue is ten dollars on Amazon. <laughs> But it's probably like what a hundred pages or so. Yeah, it's nice. It's thick. It's uh, I don't know how many pages it is. I have no way of estimating. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's that unreasonable, really. I mean, I think magazines are magazine is like, uh, it's one of these words that sort of like gives gives away the price and the word, you know. Like if you say magazine, there's an expectation that it should be like three dollars, you know. Yeah. But really like something like this which it sounds like it's 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 a whole volume, right? Yeah, I mean it's um, a lot of material and the, the stuff is longer form and yeah, it, it's hard, right? Cuz sometimes you go to like what am I going to read? And it's like I, you can read comic books, right? But like they're they're also somewhat expensive for how long it takes to read like a single comic book, which is something yeah. I never quite understood. Like for me like, oh, buy or at least the what are the ones that come like Batman every every week or every month oh yeah yeah like the superhero and it's like what i don't know what it's what prices are now like four dollars for an issue or something and it's like but i could read that issue very quickly um no that's just to get the story now i can go back and look at the pictures and think about it right longer or whatever but like just reading the story through is very quick but for ten dollars i can buy a 800 page science fiction novel um you know that will take me like months to read yeah yeah exactly yeah i never you know even like now with the digital era the prices are more reasonable but still you know this the whole superhero comic thing i just i agree i think the pricing model is just ridiculous and and part of it too is like i think the people who who get those comics they're they get it mainly for the art you know because the story i'm probably going to offend every comic book follower but i mean the story on superhero comics i just never could really get that into it it never was that compelling you know yeah i i don't know i always wanted to be into comic books but like my my parents never really like offered to buy them for me or take me to where they were bought and there wasn't any place close to me um gotcha and so like i never really got into it and then like as an adult there's still like somewhat of a stigma attached to it like yeah it's a childish thing or whatever and with the movies, like I wear T-shirts that have the superhero stuff on them, and nobody seems to mind. But like, reading comics is kind of like seen as childish. I'm not yeah, exactly sure where that came from. Isn't that interesting? Like, if you were to wear like an Iron Man T-shirt, which you know, I do, ten years ago, oh. people would be like, "That guy is, you know, he must have." B-O well, they wouldn't know what it is. Like, but if yeah, they well, did. that's true too. But uh, but yeah, now it's like because it's in the movies, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Time for tool of the show. Tool of the show. So my tool of the show is you select I download, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's a it's a plugin for Chrome. Um, I don't know if anyone else has had this problem or if it's just me, but if you have you ever go to those web pages, uh, you know most of the time it might be like internal 
<clears throat> like like uh like the Hadoop, you know, front end or whatever or some kind of page, but it just it has a ton of links. Like I'll give you another example, the um the Google Books data set, which you which is available for download, um, is literally like a hundred links. <laughs> like you have to click on one by one. And so um I found this pretty awesome link that basically is sort of like you kind of click and drag a lasso as if you're going to take a screenshot or something like that. But then um, a after this lasso, it colors anything inside that lasso yellow and any links yellow. And then if you hit shift enter, it'll open all of those links in a new window. So in other words, like if you had this plugin, you could click the plugin on the top right, select all the links for Hacker News front page, shift enter, and they'll all open in, in a different tab. Um, and if you hit Alt-Enter, it automatically downloads them all. Um, and it has some built-in download manager, so it, like, breaks it up into chunks. It does it, like, really efficiently and, and so on and so forth. Um, so I thought this was pretty cool, and, uh, and I, I had to use it rather recently, but uh, it worked extremely well, uh, and it's pretty lightweight. It's just a Chrome plug-in, so uh, give it a shot. I do find that annoying. I always want to write to like people who have pages like this and like, is there any other way you could provide this to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Um, it's pretty rare to have this, have this situation, although I had it, you know, this week, but, uh, for the most part, you know, people, I guess, why do, why do you think that doesn't happen anymore? Maybe there's just people have bigger people files. People got smarter. I don't, I don't know. I think that you just don't have to download files in pieces anymore. I mean, this particular data set was Maybe. like 17 terabytes or something ridiculous. So it was still broken up into pieces. But for, yeah, for the most part, the days of downloading part 99 of 100 Let's you know, as a separate file <laughs> are over. All right. So I was just realizing I might have said this one last time. I was looking back at the log for my tool of the show, but it looks like it got copied from the previous one. So it said uh, KiCad twice in a row. So I have oh, no idea oh, what oh, I, I said see. last time, but I, <laughs> if it was this one, it makes it that much better that I still think it's thought about it this time. Okay. Um, and that's a game, Skulls of the Shogun. And uh, Jason's about to tell me that this is my- uh, You're in the clear. You're oh, in the good. Clear. Yes. This is a, <laughs> this is a game. It used to be on the Xbox. I think the Xbox 360, I guess, arcade. Um, and now it's on uh, iOS. I don't know if it's on Android. I, I didn't look. Um, I'm terrible. I don't do the Android thing as much as I guess I should as a... Jason's going to make fun of me that I'm basically the Linux guy. Uh, Non-Linux <laughs> guy. Oh, well, that's okay. Wait, so uh, on iOS, Skulls of the Shogun. And Wait, but the difference here is iOS does everything the better way anyways. Okay, all right. Good, good, good. I feel better <laughs> I'm just now. Giving you a hard time. I feel better now. Um, so if I now shift slightly to say that what I'm using is Black Bear, no, okay. Um, <laughs> Skulls of the oh Shogun God, is the a strategy three. game uh, on iOS, and I was we had a conversation a couple episodes back where I was saying like I always want to be good at strategy games, and I'm always terrible at them. <laughs> and for some reason, I do well at this game. It's a turn-based strategy game where you are like a shogun who has died and went to the afterlife. But someone, one of your enemies that you killed went there before you, obviously, and claimed to be you. Uh, and okay. like, there was like a special place in the afterlife set up for you because you were such a good shogun. Um, and instead, he's claimed this place or whatever. 
And so now you're like fighting through the afterlife to get to him so that you can become who like reclaim yourself or something. Wow. That's a pretty uh, involved story. No, it's really, it's really like goofy. Um, okay. It's not that serious. And the animation style is crazy. And it's all this kind of like skeleton zombie-ish like people or whatever. Um, but you have like kind of the Shogun style, like you have, uh, I don't know if that's a style, but like, you know, you have samurai and you have guys on horseback and guys with bows and arrows and your Shogun, who's like very powerful, but if, if he dies, you lose. Um, ah. and so like you want to use them, but like you can't put them at risk. Um, and they have some interesting mechanics. Like if you're next to a cliff, when you hit someone, they get like pushed back a little. And if they fall off the cliff, they die. Um, so you can try to like there are approaches where there's like narrow stuff and you have to be careful about who goes through so that your people don't get knocked off the cliff. Um, but for some reason, this strategy game, I, I seem to be doing okay. It's probably because I have it on easy setting. Um, are you playing against a computer or against yeah, people? Yeah, so they have against people, but I haven't tried that yet because oh, I don't okay. want to be embarrassed. And I think, I'm thinking highly of myself at present. Um, oh my goodness, Did you have you been on their website? No. They have, uh, if you click on, if you go to their website and Are you, you going to talk the about team, the trailer? Because uh, no, uh, the reason I, I bought say, the game was because of the trailer. Oh, really? Well, I was going to say, if you click on team, uh, okay. they have pictures of the employees and they're hilarious. Okay. But, right, but yeah, so what about it. the trailer? So if you watch the trailer, it's like a mashup of like, yes, okay. This is pretty much like the trailer. It's a mashup <laughs> of like every 80s and 90s video game commercial, if there ever like was one like this. <laughs> and it's just like... That's amazing. You should definitely watch the trailer if you grew up in the 80s and 90s at least in america and uh i keep giving that caveat i should stop people should just assume that but uh people were making fun of it like this is stupid and it's chintzy and cheesy it's like no i remember all the gi joe commercials that were exactly like that uh (laughs) growing up and so anyways then i bought it and it was like the comedy is very similar um and you know they break the third wall sometimes or whatever like they talk to you i guess or whatever they make fun of themselves anyway so and the gameplay is nice and it's approachable i'll say that that means easy enough for me to do well at but uh okay so it's approachable and i like it and uh i've been playing i haven't beat it yet but i i think i'm pretty close to to the end so um check it out skulls of the shogun if you like strategy games and don't want to be humiliated is it how much does it cost do you remember Ooh, i think it's like five dollars okay that's not bad so but it's a i mean i played on my ipad and it's beautiful it's nice and i've gotten so many hours out of it i had to spend a lot of time at jury duty and uh i definitely was playing this <laughs> when when i wasn't not supposed to be doing anything <laughs> yeah there, you're just like every now and then you look up from your ipad guilty <laughs> no no when the judge told us we couldn't no i i put it all away uh, uh. <laughs> but all the rest of the time there's a lot of downtime at court and uh, i see yeah i was i was definitely playing it we should definitely do a show on jury duty i have some i can go on at length about that but um okay this is awesome yeah, it is it's 4.99 i will definitely buy this immediately with uh, but don't tell me that it was too easy because then i'll be embarrassed uh, i no, i'm just like you i mean i love strategy games and i'm equally terrible at all of them okay. so uh right. this right. is this sounds right at my eye. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so open scad that's right uh so open is scab. that like a open wound like open right. an open scab. an open scab <laughs> Um, so, so we'll talk a little bit about like 3D modeling, 3D models in general. So this is a programming language used for creating 3D models. 
And 3D models are interesting because there's lots of ways to create them. You can create them um, with what's called computer-aided design tools, CAD, um, which are mm -hmm. things like SolidWorks or I guess even things like Maya or Blender or other things where you create shapes and you shift them and move them interactively with your mouse. Um, but we're programmers. That's boring and hard <laughs> and artistic. And we're none of those things. Uh, I'm none of those things. Um, so OpenSky has a programming language to create the same kinds of things, these 3D models. And 3D models, ultimately, you're trying to represent some shape or object or thing you want to build or make or use in a video game. Um, and you're trying to make like some abstract representation of what we'll call the, the real world. And one of the interesting <laughs> things I like about the languages that try to describe these is that you know they can be really pure. Um, so if you have a sphere, in the real life, in real world, no perfect sphere exists, right? So like in the real world, you've never encountered one because it would have to be perfectly smooth and have perfect roundness. And ultimately you can't because they're made of molecules and the molecules have size and shape. And so you'll never have something which is a, a perfect sphere. Somebody's gonna correct me with some example of something that's a perfect sphere, but it's okay. You, uh, that would be hard to do. I think you're in the right here. <laughs> okay, all right, sounds good, all right, good. So, but like in this language, you can, you can represent something that's a perfect sphere, right? That has, is very uniform and, and, and smooth. Uh, and then you can do things with it, like take another sphere and join the two together and make a two sphere thing. And if you build up shapes, um, you begin to come up with complex objects or, you know, uh, shift shapes around turn. And we'll talk about more specifics of that later. But I always, um, I'm terrible at drawing. Um, I think Jason does drawing, so he maybe he can tell us yeah, more about this. Definitely. But, I've done a lot of <laughs> Blender, but uh, OpenSCAD is, is new to me. So, so drawing, you know, like always, like when I try to read like how to draw, and they're always like, start by breaking down the scene into shapes. So like you have a head and a head is a circle and the ears are squished circles and ovals um, and stuff <laughs> like this. And they always like show the, you draw these like square and a couple lines and some circles. And then like two steps later, you have like a perfectly drawn guy yeah, riding a horse. That, it's like, there's what? always that one step. Like, it's like, okay, I see it. I see it. And then they're like, now fill in the details. And that, those are like the four or five words of death. Like when you see in any art instruction book, now fill in the details. The details include like going to college, getting a degree <laughs> in art and coming back and finishing the drawing. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true. But yeah, so I mean, but this open SCAD, these things that represent uh, trying to make 3D models from basic shapes and operations, it kind of to me represents the same thing. Like I, if I'm trying to build a model of my kitchen table, at first I'd say, oh, okay, it's just a rectangular prism and four rectangular prisms for legs. But no table really looks like that. It looks boring uh, right. and terrible. So then you have to like chamfer the corners, like put a little round over on them. Um, you need like a little bead detail around the bottom and there's like an apron around underneath the tabletop and there's like an inlay, right? And you begin to, but all those things are also simple. And so like, if I can simply build up to the object I'm trying to represent, to me, I feel like that's an easier approach than when I've tried to do like the modeling and it, for some reason it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, the other thing too, right, is <clears throat> like Blender and Maya and these tools like ZBrush and so on, you know, they're meant to be like creative tools 
by artists who want to draw like most of the time you know cartoony non-photorealistic things right and they don't work very well if you need to build something precise like a table that shouldn't wobble right no that's a good point yeah so, so organic yeah, so right like exactly an animal would be hard to like draw a perfect representation of using ovals and shapes um, exactly without some sort of introducing some sort of randomness right but the opposite is also true we're like you know in blender and these tools it's not really designed for precision and so you're kind of expected that if you draw like a bear that the four legs aren't going to touch the ground in exactly the same spot you know you're probably using you know like a like a tablet a wacom or something and you know it's it's i'm sure if you zoomed in really closely on you know any model in you know world of warcraft or any of these games that you know the legs wouldn't all line up perfectly <laughs> and things like that but or then, you an know, intern was there trying to get them all to align <laughs> yeah that's right but uh but you know if you you know built a table that way and then actually had it printed um and then you know got the table back you'd be very disappointed so OpenSCAD really excels in this area where you need precision yeah so um an- another way that people use our NURBS. What are NURBS? NURBS. So, <clears throat> um, right. So, <laughs> there's. You know, it's going to be good when there's a wind up before the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so most you know, 3D modeling is done through polygons, right? So this is essentially well, a polygon, triangles. right? Just a triangle or uh, triangles. Uh, well, yeah. Is that true. not true? I mean. Blender actually has N-Gons support. Um, and then, but I'm assuming, yeah, before it goes to your graphics card, it gets turned into polygons. Um, or, or sorry, to triangles. But, uh, but you know, usually, you know, you s- most of these models are done by taking, you know, say, triangles and, and, and putting a bunch of them together, right? Um, but there's also this other way, and it's kind of like, uh, <coughs> you know how, like, you can use Photoshop and at the end of the day, you're drawing pixels. You know, like you might draw a line or a circle in Photoshop, but it's really just, you know, a bunch of pixels. And Photoshop is clever enough to take the concept of a circle and the equations that define a circle and turn it into a bunch of black and white dots, right? Um, but then you also have, you know, vector art, um, Ooh, like, uh, like Illustrator, right? Where it actually stores the equation of a circle and then at runtime, you know, anytime you do anything to that circle, you know, on the fly, it's turning the equation of the circle into pixels. So NURBS takes that idea and extends it to 3D. So a NURBS stands for non-uniform rational B-spline. Ah, oh, so enlightening. And uh, basically what it is is just in the same way, it's a, you know, a, uh, a mathematical explanation of a curve or a sphere or a torus or what have you. Um, and it can def- define arbitrarily complex shapes using these, these splines that are connected together through, through control points. Um, but then again, like it's not you know, a bunch of triangles. It's this equation that then you can resolve into triangles anytime you want. So OpenSCAD so. has... You start with some shape. We talked about this, but you can have like a 2D shape, a 3D shape, and if you start with a 2D shape, you typically I don't, the term like extrude it. You kind of like stretch it in some way or some fashion, some transformation. 
Um, so if you take a square and you move orthogonal to the plane the square is in up, you make a cube well, or some rectangular prism, I mm-hmm. guess, um, and you can stretch it. But if you move the square through like a curve, you get a curvy shape or a circle through a curve, you get like a pipe or a tube. Um, so you can start with 2D shapes because the 3D shapes are often, you know, start as 2D shapes um, or 3D and they have, you know, primitive shapes. So they have circle, square, um, you know, they have primitive 3D shapes. So you have things that are like sphere and cylinder, polyhedron. Ooh. <laughs> um, and, and these are your, you know, basic building blocks. And then when you combine them with the translations like we talked about, then you can move them, shift them around, stretch them. <clears throat> and transformations could be like um, scale it, so like make it bigger um, or rotate it, like spin it around, translate it, move it, move it side to side. Um, and these are the kind of things that the transformations uh, and when you combine them and we'll talk a little, come back to transformations in just a second, you can combine them with like Boolean operations. So if I have like, one circle and another circle and I union them together, I join them together, or let's say three, I have three circles and I join them together just so, you can make a snowman, you know, with three circles, mm-hmm. three or three spheres, sorry, or circles, I guess, yeah, right. uh, joined on top of each other. Or if I difference, uh, you know, to one sphere from another sphere, I can take a bite out of the sphere or, you know, a square to a sphere. You can start to build up with these basic Boolean operations and the shapes and the transformations, you can start to build up very complex shapes. And there are different kinds of transformations like we talked about. And uh, just like basic ones like scale and rotate, shift, slide. Um, But then there are more complex ones. It's like an affine transformation. So what is an affine transformation? Right, so an affine transformation is a 2D transformation. And I think, let me look it up. There's some like math property that makes it. Okay, so these ones that nice. where you you can but describe by a matrix multiply. Oh, that's right. So an affine transformation is one that it preserves points, straight lines, and planes. So the idea is like, you know, if you have n points and you do the transformation, then you have n points. You know, it doesn't like collapse the space or anything like that. And if a line is straight as a result of the transformation, the line will still be straight. So it won't be. There won't be any kind of like weird like radial warping or anything like that. So most transformations are either affine transformations are either, you know, translations. So like you move something, you know, slide it. Um, rotations. So you, you kind of rotate it around some pivot point or, you know, kind of shear operations like scaling or just scaling in one dimension or things like that. And it turns out that... Uh, most of what you need to do, like if you have several basic primitives, like squares, rectangles, things like that, and you have access to affine transformations, that you can create, you know, just about anything. Um, then there's, yeah, there's 3D transformations, like the Euler transformations. If you've ever done anything with like control theory, um, like with gimbals or, you know, controlling like a arm for a robot or something like that, um, you could think of sort of even like if you move your hand around, you can kind of like twist your hand, right? But then you can kind of move your hand from side to side. Like if you were waving, but your wrist was locked, right? You could kind of just wave your hand. Or you can move your hand kind of up and down. Like if you go to like 
grab your mouse, you kind of like tilt your hand down. So there's like the three axes which you can move your arm. And so you can do like Euler 3D transformations where you specify these axes. They're called roll, pitch, and yaw. Um, but then you end up in these, it just, if you follow the math, it kind of breaks down. And you can end up in what's called gimbal lock. Um, can you, do you want to describe gimbal lock? You probably know more about it than I do. Actually, I don't think I do. <laughs> this okay, is where I, you get to I, a, a, a place where you can't represent it correctly. Yeah, I think, I think Did it's Did I describe where, it good? Yeah, I think gimbal lock is where, here you can look it up and I'll try to explain it and then you can correct me when I'm wrong. But I think gimbal lock is where you end up in a situation where doing one of those transformations doesn't change anything. Like, for example, <clears throat> um, let's say you're looking straight up in the air. Um, if you kind of like, if you turn your head, um, let me see if I can get this right. <laughs> this is a tough thing to explain. Yeah, it if is. You're looking, so you if lose you're looking straight up in the air, then, oh yeah, if you're looking straight up in the air, then if you like lean your head from side to side, nothing changes because you're already straight up in the air. Something like that. Like you can, you can be in a position where if you put one of the axes in a certain way, you can make it so the one of the three axes is a no-op. And the reason why this is a problem is because the value of that axis like doesn't matter. It's undefined. And that causes chaos. Like like that value can oscillate wildly and the picture won't change. Um so so like the system is stable even though that value can be anything and it causes just complete chaos in control theory. So, did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty good. So basically, okay. yeah, like uh, some place where you yeah you lose one of your degrees of freedom and it causes right, mathematical right. and it happened in apollo 11 so on apollo oh, really? 11 yeah they had a problem where they got into an orientation near 85 degrees of pitch uh that the the stabilization loop got messed up oh, um, and so they were supposed to like like it was supposed to the gimbal was supposed to like flip around at that time or whatever but um it for some reason got messed up and froze uh and so they had to manually like move move it or whatever oh, um, and then realign it so yeah it actually was a big problem but yeah <laughs> okay we're, we're yeah uh, so you can imagine like if if in general right like if a number can be anything and and on the outside it doesn't matter then over time that number will just assume any value and then what happens is eventually things change in the system and all of a sudden that number matters but it's four billion and it just the system just doesn't know what to do with four billion it just collapses so <clears throat> so they came up with this idea of quaternions and again this is really hard to explain i'm not going to do it justice but basically the idea is you assume that there's a fourth dimension um, <laughs> yeah and you do all of your math assuming this fourth dimension. And this fourth dimension ends up... Um, you also normalize by the fourth dimension. So in other words, um, you know, if you, have a, if you have a vector in general, or if you have a list of numbers in general, you can do this thing called normalizing, where the biggest number becomes one, and all the other numbers become some fraction of the biggest number, right? So like, you talk about like normalizing people's grades or like, you know, 
grading on the curve or something like that, right? When you grade on the curve, what you're doing is you're taking the highest person. Let's say he got an 80. So that means everyone else's grade is over 80. And that guy who got an 80, he gets a 100%, right? So you have this fourth dimension that doesn't really exist. Like you can't visualize it, but it's there for all the calculations. And you're constantly normalizing by all four of the dimensions. And so it keeps, even when you have gimbal lock in the three dimensions, the fourth dimension keeps everything from going crazy. Nice. That's uh that's the best way I can explain it. <laughs> a little bit of uh, 3D theory to uh, warm your soul. Yeah, that's right. So another so, advantage of uh, OpenSCAD over other uh, modeling programs is that you can define stuff as basically a formula, right? So like the height is two times the width. And then somebody can simply define what how high they want the thing to be and it automatically generates it at the appropriate width. Oh, um, that's cool. I yeah, didn't know. It so could for do like that. 3D printing, this is this is pretty cool, right? So typically you might be able to scale something, right? So like you have a model of Jason's head and you're gonna 3D print it. And you can apply oh, a, a basic scale, which just says all the points in the 3D model like expand them the same amount from origin or whatever. And then you get a accurate representation of a bigger Jason's head. Um, but what if you had things that, uh, you know, wanted to move in relation to one another. And so you had like gears and if you scale the gears, maybe the meshing of the gears changes. Um, oh, I see. right. And so you can end up with, with complexing or you only want to scale, you know, in one dimension, but you want the, all the gears to stay, you know, the gears need to, can't, be scaled in one dimension right like they have to be round they right, have to right. be a perfect circle or close to a perfect circle um and so you if you wanted to scale the thing in one dimension you would need to do something else and so parameter parameterizing allows you to handle <laughs> these kinds of things um oh well, that's amazing there's also a tool really similar to OpenSCAD called implicit cad which uh is written in haskell uh which is which is cool and um it's actually one of the few like commonly used things that, that I could think of that was uh, written in Haskell. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, not that that's like a, a knock against how just like, you know, sometimes you ch people say like, oh, what's written in that language? Well, this is written. Implicit CAD is written in Haskell and uh, is very similar to OpenSCAD. So is OpenSCAD a tool or a language or both? Both. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. So, yeah. So the language itself, though, like, and apparently I wasn't the only one. Like, I saw other people saying the same thing. Immediately made remember when I was in... Uh, college and doing ray tracing so always like i took a computer graphics class and it's very classical like you have to learn about lighting and about ray tracing and um the most common or one of the most common ray tracers that people use is pov ray and uh, they oh, have a scene that. description language where it's the same thing you describe objects and then you make a picture that represents those what the scene would look like from a specific point of view. So the only thing additional from like what OpenSCAD does is you define a camera angle, like things that describe the camera basically um, and lighting. But aside from that, oh, like the objects are just the same. They just describe a scene, um, but you have special things, which are lights and a spe one special thing, I guess, which is a camera. Um, and they become very similar after that. Like you're using basic, shapes and primitives and transformations to build up a scene you know yeah that's uh i wonder if like uh i mean is there a lot of open scad content in other words like 
does is there if I wanted just like a car to 3D print, would someone have just made a car in OpenSCAD that I could download or something? Uh, I mean, is there yeah, a so like on Thingiverse, like yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Thingiverse. Oh, those are done in OpenSCAD. Not all of or them, or they could be. Some of them, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool, cool. But yeah, for sure. Like, I'm, I mean, typically these things, like, actually, I don't know if OpenSCAD supports it, but I know like POV Ray, like you can import a model. So if you have like a 3D surface mesh, I guess they're called meshes, a mesh, right? Like with a texture, um, you can import it into the scene. Um, and hopefully it's, you know, small enough where you can't discern the triangles, but it'll bounce the rays off of it just the same. Oh, interesting. Um, but also, yeah, I'm on the I'm on the Thingiverse site where you can download, um, you know, OpenSCAD, um, you know, files, and uh, yeah, it's cool. They have like iPhone cases. Have you tried making an iPhone case? I have not yet. Okay, yeah, there's a bunch of really cool things. A stacking container. Yeah, definitely go to OpenSCAD.com/gallery, and then I'm assuming that you can just download the uh, source code for this. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and then build it. Yep, so it's very useful for that. So, like, wanting to get started in, like, 3D printing and, like, oh, I, ha- I want to be able to make my own models uh, to 3D print, but I don't want to have to learn a modeling program. Um, and so this is what I came across. And so this is oh, this is my the endeavor I'm embarking upon. Okay. All right. Do you have a 3D printer or no? No, but I have access to 3D printers. Oh, I see. Ha, ha, ha. That's ambiguous and uh, (laughs) mysterious. I know a guy. uh, I know a guy. (laughs) I know a guy who knows a guy. No, no. I just know the guy. Oh, okay. You you have one degree of freedom between you and the guy who has a 3D printer. And only one more between him and Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Okay. How much between him and Canadian Bacon? Uh, Wait, I eat Canadian Bacon, so zero. Oh, Oh, my gosh. My mind just exploded. Oh my god! There's a uh, there's a 3D printer on Amazon, and it's it sells for twelve hundred, but it's on sale for eleven hundred ninety nine. <laughs> uh, you save a penny. Okay. So Jason's 3D printer shopping right now. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess where I was going with this is. Yeah. Right. You can uh, you can use OpenSCAD and a 3D printer to obviously print your own things. I was kind of hoping that I could say something nice about the price, but it's actually pretty darn expensive. There's cheaper um, cheaper 3D printer uh, kits. You mo- can oh, I see. So yeah, yeah the, I, it's totally The MakerBot is 2200 Yeah. There's this Flash Forge that's 1200 but uh Oh, actually, they do go down. There's one that's 900 Yeah, so you so, get yeah. them. Yeah, like I've seen them, you know, like 400 500 for like this one called PrinterBot without the E. Printer oh, okay. Bot. Anyways, Printer check it out. Bot. Yeah, so they have cheaper ones, um, and they're coming down all the time. And one of the cool things is there are 3D printers designed in OpenSCAD. So oh, nice. you could get is and it kind of it's cool because it kind of works in with the whole bootstrapping thing, like self rep wrap is is about this like self replicating. Um, and so you write a description in OpenSCAD, and it, if you have any way of making the shapes that are described in OpenSCAD parametrically of whatever size you want then uh you make the first one and then you have a 3d printer of which you could print more um but of course there are typically some things which aren't printable (laughs) that are gotcha oh Um, yeah like i'm sure the metal like metal rods and circuit boards Um, one day the idea is that they will be printable but for now they aren't 
Right, right. But yeah, it, it's kind of a, a cool community, and there's a lot of like, re- it's almost like, you know, writing a compiler to compile your compiler. <laughs> yeah. No, this, this is totally awesome. I would love to, uh, I did a little bit of 3D printing, but uh, I need to get back into it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, it's still a little little pricey, but um, now that you know OpenSCAD, at least you have one part that can no longer be an excuse. That's right. Well, I know the guy who knows the guy who has a 3D printer. So I, feel I like will I'm disavow all knowledge of you after this. <laughs> so you no longer know me. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. Cool. Well, this is awesome. Yeah, I think I would... Um, actually, one more thing about OpenSCAD, like... Does it give you any visual? Because I mean, I would imagine that like this yeah, language, yeah, so you need constant feedback, right? Otherwise, it's it's hard to do anything. Yeah, so there is there's rendering rendering options. Yep. Oh, so I you see. Can, so you like can while you're coding, you can see the objects. Yeah, so it's very similar. I, I mean, though, my impressions of it using this is very similar to kind of the way if you've ever done ray tracing, it's very similar. So you kind of edit your code and you kind of have like you click a little button and. Um, you know, or even interactively, it, it'll show you kind of like the updates you're making. Can't remember. Um, okay. But yeah, so um, similar. Yeah. When you go to cool, actually cool. make the thing um, or generate some other representation of it than the raw like mathematical description, it may do a more complete. Because ultimately, you're you need to like if you're doing a 3D printer, you need to tell the machine the exact coordinates to go to, but you can't tell it like make this perfect circle because it can't it has only finite resolution. Right, right. So. Yep. So have you printed anything with OpenSCAD or not yet? Not yet. Okay. Maybe You'll have to soon. let us know how it soon. goes. I want to hear a post-mortem. Soon. I got to make something I'm proud enough like to make real. Okay. Because it's just all digital. So it's so easy to just like, it's like a, a portrait, a painting. It's never complete. Just keep You should painting. do the iPhone case. At least you have an iPhone case. That's just printing you know, someone else's work. I need to make my own iPhone case. Oh yeah, you should make. Uh, you should. Just, you should etch your own design into this iPhone case that somebody else already no, made. No, I will make it from scratch. <laughs> if I did not invent it, it is inferior. <laughs> you should make. You should make the worst iPhone case ever. Like it, it protects the parts of the iPhone that that don't need like it's just a band around the middle. <laughs> it's like a titanium iPhone case. The case will not break. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The phone will shatter. <laughs> the case will not break. Oh man, it's yeah. <laughs> okay, well, this is it's getting too late for Jason. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, all the uh, activities and comments and emails we've been getting from everyone. Yeah, we found out the uh, the Google Plus page has what three hundred plus ones. No, nine hundred. Nine hundred. Nine hundred. Really? Yes. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were pulling my leg. It literally, I just looked it up. We have 900 on plus ones. Yes. That is absolutely amazing. We, we, uh, we love you guys. I have no that idea what it's shocking. counting, but 900 yeah, plus ones, <laughs> some sort of aggregation of everything. I don't hopefully care. 900 is a big number. That is not counting page views. I'm sure that, that, that it count, I'm sure those are 900 actions. And it can't be one. minutes of our podcast because it's far more than 900. <laughs> yeah. So we definitely, we, we really appreciate your support. Um, you've been buying our book a week. Uh, a lot of you have been buying the yes, books of the week you. and keeping up with us. Or at least clicking thank on our link that, and buying other things. Yeah, that's right. That keeps the, the whole operation up and running. The server, the, the terabytes of bandwidth that we consume every month. 
um, cost a lot of money. And yeah, you that's motivation to that. make shorter podcasts, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the next podcast will be on Hask. Um, we don't have time to do the rest. <laughs> Um, but uh, we appreciate all of your support <laughs> and uh, you know we definitely look forward to, to doing to you know keeping these podcasts going they've been a lot of fun for us so um, keep writing in with your questions uh, you know I really like answering them on G plus yeah that's and, what I'm getting out uh, of this story <laughs> we should just have <laughs> you answer questions for the podcast we should do a mailbag it's been a while oh no <laughs> I'll just it'll all just right, be all guys. me I'll just ask all the things I need to do at work Jason will you do this work for me <laughs> <laughs> Why is my compiler not working? <laughs> Alright, till next time. Alright, catch you guys later. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.